Oh, well, it is, uh, it is really easy to forget just how incredible what we're doing here is, isn't it? Uh, we are meeting with the God of the universe this morning. Isn't that incredible? Uh, we, just, we just stopped what we were doing, got up this morning, did our thing, and came in here to meet with God and his people. And even as we do it, Jesus Christ, by his spirit, is walking amongst us right now, tending to his sheep, tending to the seven lampstands, as it said in the book of Revelation, and caring for us. We come to see each other, and we love each other, and we come to sing songs that we love, and we love the songs we sing, but we come, first and foremost, to meet with the God of the universe. Now, it is easy to forget about that, isn't it? When, when you've got dinner slow cooking in the oven and you've got to get back to it, or when you have something big going on at work that's just overwhelming and, and is just taking over your mind as we're here worshiping with all kinds of worldly concerns, it's easy to see what we're doing as just one more thing we do in the week. But oh, what a wonder, meeting with the God of the Bible every Sunday morning. Now, when we do something that is that profound... And really, as we're going to see, you know, by, by all rights and privileges, should be deadly, right? To meet with the God of the Bible who dwells in a blazing glory should, should kill us if we see him, right? Now, when, when we're faced with a reality like that, there are two temptations before anybody who comes here to gather before God. One would be to not take it as seriously as it is. Right, to just come in and go out, and it's another rote and routine thing that you do. Uh, we even talked about this in Don's Sunday school class today. One of Don's big points was it's easy to take the Lord's Supper and not remember what a big deal it is. Right? It's easy to take it and not take it seriously with a sense of solemnity and reverence in your heart for the Lord God that you're meeting before and who you're dining with as we have the Lord's Supper. So there's that on one side, and that can get expressed in a million different ways and triteness and through nostalgia and all kinds of other things that we can focus on instead of the God of the Bible, but there's another direction that some people go. Some people have it deep in their hearts that to meet with God is a big deal, and you better think twice about that, but the way they handle it is to say, oh, I'd, I'd never darken the door of a church. God would strike me dead if I walked in there. Have you ever known people, ever talked with people like this? I sure have, right? Yeah, I'm not going to go in there. I know, I know what a serious thing that is. And somebody who's done what I've done, I should drop dead as soon as I walk in the building. Some people really avoid church for that reason, right? They understand God's holiness. They understand their own sinfulness. But something's missing, right? And there's a better way. It's possible to meet with God on one hand, amazed by his blazing glory and understanding that we should not be able to do this, and to go in boldly knowing that the people of God have his favor. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at an example of some Old Testament believers who sense what a big deal it is to meet with God, but also have great confidence as they do it. Let's look at the book of Judges, chapter 13. I'm just going to read the two verses, 22 and 23. Uh, they may sound a little strange out of the context of the story, so after that, I'll, I'll tell you the whole story. Maybe it'll make more sense then, and then we'll dive into what they mean for us. Judges 13, starting with verse 22. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering 
and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. The words of the Lord. What we have in these words is a, is a picture of God's unmerited favor towards his people. And I pray that what it does is leave every one of us, every one of you, just amazed at, on one hand, how incredible it is that we get to come before this God, but also in awe of the great favor, unmerited favor, that God has shown us in that we get to come before him and meet him. And if we're frank about it, that it doesn't kill us when we come before him in his presence and meet with him. I pray God leaves us in awe and wonder of that, such that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm praying this morning that spurs you on toward holiness as you tremble in awe at God's glory and his grace at the same time. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just pray the grace of God is made clear to you this morning so that you can see just how good he is, how great his offer of grace extended to you is, that he might draw you into a relationship with him in which you are saved in which you are his again. Let me tell you the story first, and then, like I said, we'll dive into the meaning of Manoah's words and of his wife's words. This is, in the book of Judges, the story of the birth of Samson. Some of you know who Samson is. If you don't know who Samson is, Samson is, the short version is, he's a very messed up man that God still uses to save Israel from their oppressors and their enemies. He does a lot of awful things, and despite the awful and even weird things that he does, the Lord chooses to work through him as a great warrior to save the people of God out of the hands of their enemies. This is the story of his mother and father as they learn that he is going to be born and that he is the one appointed by God to rescue Israel as a great warrior. So there's a man named Manoah and he will be Samson's father and a woman who is never named in the story. She's just called Manoah's wife, which is strange because she's kind of the main character of the story, but she never gets named and that's just just how it is in the story. So she is one day going about her business and an angel of the Lord appears to her. And this is somewhat like the story of Mary as she's going about her business and Angel Gabriel appears to her or several women in the Bible who are doing their thing and all of a sudden it's announced to them they're miraculously going to have a child. Uh, the angel says to her, reminding her of what she is painfully aware of, that she is barren, she's unable to have a child. And their whole marriage, they've never had a child. He says, behold, you're barren, but now you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. And so she's just amazed. And the angel tells her, moreover, I've got some instructions for you. This child that's going to be born, he is to be a Nazarite for his whole life. And that's a, a special thing that Israelites could do if you took the Nazarite vow for a certain period of time, you observed some special things, didn't take in any alcohol, didn't cut your hair, or shave your beard for a while. And when the vow was over, that period was over. It was a special worshipful thing you could do for God. Well, Samson was to be this boy who would be born. He was to be a Nazarite his whole life even in the womb, so much that when she is pregnant with him, even then she can't drink any wine so that nothing gets into his bloodstream. This is a special set-apart boy. And his mission will be that he will deliver by the hand of his military might, will deliver Israel from their enemies. So she goes and she tells her husband, you won't believe what happened. Now, in some stories like this, the husband doesn't believe it. Sometimes he does. This husband says, wow, that, that's incredible. And he asks her, would you pray and ask God that this man would come again? Because 
I have some questions. I'm, I'm curious about this, right? Uh, so she prays. The man comes back again. Now, Manoah believes that this is just a man, a prophet. He doesn't realize it's an angel. But angel appears again to his wife. She runs back and gets him, says, darling, he's here, come. And so he comes out and he meets this man of God. And he says, now, when, when what you have said comes true, what do we need to do? And what's his manner of life going to be? And the angel says, well, it's just what I told your wife. Be very careful to observe all the things I told your wife. She's not to have any wine while she's pregnant with him. He is not to ever drink a drop of alcohol his whole life, and he's never to cut his hair or shave his beard, no razor, touch his head. He's a Nazarite for his whole life, and his mission will be to deliver Israel from the hands of the people that are oppressing them right now. So he's just amazed. So then he says, hey, let's prepare a feast for you, right? You're giving us great news. Can, can, can we slay a young goat and present him for you as a feast? Again, he thinks it's a prophet, not an angel. And the angel says, well, I'll stay with you and I'll fellowship with you, but, but I won't eat. Instead, you can offer the goat up to the Lord as an offering. So they go, they prepare the goat. They also prepare a grain offering. So you get a burnt offering and a grain offering. And as they are preparing it, the angel just goes up into the flame of the fire and just goes up to heaven. And now Manoah realizes, oh, that wasn't a person I was talking to. And so they fall down on their faces in worship of God. And it's in that profound moment that Manoah says, probably trembling, we're going to die. We've seen God. And that's when she says, if he'd meant to kill us, he wouldn't have done all of these things that he has done. So the story here is that Manoah senses very deeply the first part of what I told you this morning. We should not be able to be here, right? To be in the presence of God really should be deadly for us. He senses that. He gets that. She gets that also, but she also sees some deeper things that are going on. She sees signs of favor that God is giving to them. So she has assurance and comfort that she shares with him. These things are true of us as well. God is still God. We are still sinners. We really shouldn't be able to come into his presence like this. That is true of us, so we'll dive into that for a while. And also, the very things that she appeals to to find her assurance and her sense of God's favor, Christians have those things too. And so we'll dive into what those mean for us as well. Let's look first at Manoah's words in verse 22 in the heart of them. From them, we get our first point this morning. First point is that it is a fearful thing for sinners to meet with the living God. It is a fearful thing for sinners to meet with the living God. As we see Manoah in verse 22 say to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. Uh, you may be reading along with us in our church Bible reading plan, and you may have noticed that that's kind of par for the course for people who see either God's face or even his messengers, which is, in a sense, is a sort of seeing God. The lines are kind of blurred in the Old Testament there. That tends to be how people react, right? And we've talked about this a little bit on Sundays, right? What's going on here is that in our hearts, we all have this deep desire to have fellowship with God. We were made for fellowship with God. And the Bible begins in this wonderful garden called Eden, where Adam and Eve are commissioned to tend and care for this incredible garden all day. And then at night, in the cool 
of the day, the Lord comes and they go and they walk with God. Can you imagine taking walks with God and talking together? Uh, I was on vacation this past week. My wife and I went to Tennessee to visit my parents. And one of the highlights of it for me was my wife and I took a 12-mile walk together. We walked for four hours together uh, on a nice paved road through the woods. And the best part about it was just I haven't got to to walk and talk with my wife for four straight hours in so long. It's just, it's so nice to walk together. It's different from sitting together, right? You, you keep talking when you're walking. You have this wonderful fellowship. Can you imagine for Adam and Eve doing that in the cool of the day, every day with the God of the universe? That longing is there in your heart, whether you recognize it or not, to walk with God like that and have that kind of fellowship with him. But once Adam and Eve sinned against him, once they rebelled against them, God cast them out of the garden and he guarded the entrance with a heavenly creature with a flaming sword and the senses we can't get back in there, right? We are separated from God. Now, we don't take walks with him anymore. We don't have that kind of fellowship. And ever since then, anytime somebody in the Bible sees God face to face, pretty much all the times, the reaction is, oh, I'm about to die. This will kill me. Though The Old Testament says no one can see God and live. The New Testament says no one has seen God, right? You can't see see his face and walk with him like that anymore because we've sinned against him. And so Moses wants to see God's glory and God says, well, I'll show you my back and I'll cover your face as you do it. Or Elijah hears a whisper that is God's voice and he covers his face because he knows it would kill him to be in the presence of God like that. Or Isaiah is caught up into the temple and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and he doesn't cry out glory, hallelujah. He cries out, woe is me, I'm ruined, right? Because he knows he's seen the face of God. And that's the very heart that Manoah has here. He says, we've, we've seen God, honey, and no one can see God and live. And he's right. Sin is that big of a deal. For people who have gone before God and seen his face as rebels. It is a terrifying thing. And that means for what we're doing right here, this, coming here today was a bolder move than maybe you realized, right? To come before that same God who still dwells in the same blaze of glory, who still sits on the throne in the temple, to come before him, though we know we are sinners. What a bold move we have done. We should be here every Sunday and leaving with a sense that says, I should not have gotten to do that. Right? In another world, that would have killed me to go before God and present myself as I just did like that. You should know that as we are trying to rebuild our worship order, you know, everything got destroyed with COVID, right? All got broken down. And so now we're kind of rebuilding our worship order and things are a little different now and, and, and some of the moving parts are in different places. So that means the order of worship is a little different now. Uh, and as we rebuild it, one of our goals is to build that sense into our worship order. Uh, we don't want you to leave on Sunday morning thinking, oh, that Dave, he can really preach. And we, we don't want you to leave thinking, oh, man, that soloist nailed it. We want you to leave saying, I met with God. That was something. That was supernatural. And that is why, for instance, we're starting our worship services off with five or ten minutes of prayer together. 
because the only way you can make it through that time without getting bored is to actually engage with God, right? Like praying for five to 10 minutes is exhilarating. Pretending to pray for five to 10 minutes is deathly boring, right? And so we're just going to put it there in the beginning so that we've got to make a choice. Am I going to engage with God right now or am I not going to engage with God right now? And so that's there. All of the songs still revolving around the person of Jesus Christ, a deep sense of reverence in the word. We want you leaving saying, I met with God and I can't believe that I got to do that. That's a big goal of ours that you need to know about The sense we want when we leave is, why didn't that kill me? How how did I just stand before God and live? Now, we'll see the answer to that in the words of Manoah's wife. Verse 23, her words give to us assurance that Yeah, by all sense of justice, it it should be deadly to come into contact with the living God, but he gives us favor anyway. And she looks at three reasons that God gives us favor. There are three reasons we can know as Christians that we have God's favor, and it is indeed safe to be in the presence of God. Uh, The first two come from the fact that he accepts their offerings. Back to the story. Uh, They have brought before the Lord a, a... an animal. It just slipped my mind what it is. Is it a ram or a lamb? A goat. A goat. They brought the Lord to the Lord a goat as a burnt offering, and they have brought to him grain as well. Uh, many different kinds of offerings for ancient Israel, uh, and those two offerings have very different purposes. Right? The burnt offering was an animal that was slain, and its blood would cover for your sins. Now, that sounds gross, but sin is gross too. Uh, the blood would cover for our sins. The animal would die so that our sins now are forgiven and are paid for. So the burnt offering makes you good with God again. You're reconciled with God. You have a relationship with him again because your sins are paid for. But that doesn't mean the offerings are over with. That actually means that now you can start offering things again, right? So, so the, the burnt offering is the gateway into all the other offerings. Now you and God are good. Now you can offer up true and reverent worship to him because you're back to having a good worshipful relationship with him. That's where many of the other offerings come in, like a grain offering, which is a way of saying, God has given me so much, I am going to give some. Now that he and I are good again, and he smiles upon the gifts that I give him, oh, I just want to give him so much much. So we bring in offerings like that. So two very different purposes, right? The, the grain offering is one that you get to do because you now have a good relationship with him. The burnt offering gives you a good relationship with him so you can bring other offerings to him. They bring both and she sees the Lord accept both of them. So she takes heart and says, God has favor for us. That's big. Because God doesn't look with regard on the offerings of those that he does not have favor toward. We see that in the Bible, too. It's hard truth, but it's true. Cain and Abel, right? The first two children in the Bible, uh, as they're growing up at some point, they begin offering offerings to the Lord. Cain brings his. Abel brings his. And the Lord has regard for Abel's offering. But he doesn't have regard for Cain's offering, right? We learn later it's because Abel was offering in faith. Uh, But it's possible to give God gifts that he does not receive. And if he has favor upon you, then he receives your offering. Some of you are reading through the Bible with us. You finished Isaiah recently, and you probably read in chapter 1 and in chapter 66, the Lord's saying to Israel, 
I do not like the offerings that you are giving right now. At one point he says, I hate, I despise your festivals, right? Because they weren't offering with right heart. They weren't offering in accordance with the law. They'd abandoned the covenant and the relationship they had with them. And so the Lord looked at their offerings and didn't receive them because he didn't have favor for them and what they were doing. But Manoah's wife looks at this offering and she says, well, he, he accepted our offering. That's, that's, that's not a default. That's a good sign. That's a sign that he favors us, Right? This is something Christians can take confidence as well in. We'll look first at the burnt offering and then at the grain offering. Uh, The burnt offering is a prefiguring for us of the fact that the Father accepts Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. And this is the first way that Christians can know that we have God's favor. The first way you know, Christians, that you have God's favor is that the Father accepts Jesus' offering as a sacrifice to cover for our sins. Those offerings that Israel gave, those animals that were slain to pay for sins, they were to point forward to Jesus Christ. And Jesus would actually, as he's instituting the Lord's Supper, say, this is my blood shed for you, right? The the, the blood of the animal that was killed. And we see this said probably most plainly and most succinctly in the book of Hebrews. Would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10? We'll go back to Judges in a moment, but we'll do Hebrews 10 and a little Hebrews 13 after that. Okay, Hebrews 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God. So we have there a fulfillment of all of those burnt offerings that were offered to cover for sins. They did this over and over and over again because they kept sinning. Jesus sacrifices himself one time and boom, it's all paid for. It's all done for. And what happens after that is he sits down at the right hand of God, approved. So what we have as Christians is we can look up knowing that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and accepted sacrifice. The one who died to pay for our sins. It isn't just that Jesus was willing to die to pay for our sins. The Father is willing to receive that as an acceptable sacrifice to cover for our sins. This is the first reason that we can know, Christians, that we have God's favor. He would not do that if he didn't have favor for us, if he didn't take pity on us. And this is one thing that the burnt offering points to. It refers to Jesus' death as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, when we talk about it in language like that, it can be kind of confusing sometimes. And so if you've never heard this message of Jesus dying for our sins before, I just want to make it as clear to you as I can. The central message that we preach here, the reason we're called Calvary Baptist Church, we are named after the very place where Jesus died. We consider that the most important event in human history, that he died to pay for our sins. Now, I've talked to you a lot this morning about how we want to have fellowship with God, but we cannot, right? Because we We have rebelled against him. We have sinned against him. And what a terrible thing that is. Now, the only way we can have fellowship with him again is if our sin is paid for. Now, there are two ways that your sin can be paid for. One is that you spend eternity paying for it yourself, and that will never end. The other 
is if someone who has never sinned and is himself perfect is willing to offer himself in your place. And that's what Jesus did for you. He was perfect. He never once sinned, and he offered himself in your place. The reminder we get here from Manoah's wife as she sees the offering accepted is that God the Father is pleased to accept that offering on your behalf. If you will look to Jesus Christ for forgiveness for your sins, ask him to secure it for you. His death will count for your hell, and his resurrection will guarantee you eternal life with him on the last day. That's the good news. That's the gospel. I call you all now to put your trust in it and your faith in it. For those of us that do, we, like Manoah's wife, can see that sacrifice accepted and say, ah, this very meeting should be deadly for me, but look at the favor he has upon me. He's willing to send and accept his own son as payment for our sins. Oh, what favor you have in his eyes, children of God, that he would do this for you. There's more than that. The grain offering points us to those kind of gifts we can give to the Lord now that we have a good relationship with him, right? The burnt offering was how you got good with God again in their day. The grain offering was one of the offerings you could give now that you and God are good, now that you can worship him again and he's pleased with you, you can do stuff for him. And the Christian life very much works like this as well. You're not just saved and nothing has changed. You're completely changed. You have fellowship with him now and you can offer to him worship that he accepts. And we actually see a picture of that in Hebrews 13. If you just turn a few more pages, we'll look at Hebrews 13 together and we'll just look at verses 15 and 16 where we will see a glimpse of the kinds of sacrifices and offerings that we give God now and that he is pleased by. Verse 15 says, Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So there's one sacrifice we can give, lips that are praising God. And then verse 16, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for, here's the, here's the linchpin, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now verse 15 started with the words through him, meaning we offer these things through Jesus Christ. He is the gateway in. The Lord is happy with our offerings and sacrifices because they are offered through him. What are the, some of the things that we can sacrifice to him now? What are the, some of the offerings that we can give to him now? Well, two are mentioned here. Lips that sing and speak praises to God out loud, acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a Christian, you've been going here a while, you probably know that we're supposed to do that as a church. Did you know that the Lord receives that praise as a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma in his nose that brings a smile to his face as he says, one that I favor is worshiping me. The same thing with good deeds that we do. We don't neglect to do good. We share what we have. Did you know that when you do that, Christian, you're offering up an offering and a sacrifice that God is pleased with, that God smiles upon? Some of you have met many missionaries over your life and you're sending 10 bucks a month to that one and 20 bucks a month to that one and 50 bucks a month to that one. And, uh, did you know that as you do that, as you share what you have with people like that, have you ever considered that an, an offering, a sacrifice to God that he looks down and says, ah, oh, the, the child that I favor has given this to me. The same way that you look at your kids or your grandkids' drawings that they give you 
And you don't love them because they're awesome drawings. You love them because your kids and your grandkids gave them to you. The Lord looks at your sacrifices, children of God, with that kind of admiration or adoration and favor because that is the way that he feels about us. So take heart, church. Your singing here, if offered through Jesus Christ, is pleasing to God. Some of you aren't great singers. I know this because I stand next to some of you, right? Some of you really go for that harmony, and maybe you shouldn't, right? Like some of you don't, we don't not all of us have the voice anymore, right? But, but just think about that father that's looking at a drawing that his daughter gave to him. And he's not looking at it saying, oh, well, she finally got the roof of the house in the right shape. Man, goodness. You know, he's not, he's not critiquing the drawing that he's giving to her. His heart is just warmed because he has so much favor for his daughter and says, look at this drawing that she made for me. You've had your heart warmed perhaps by someone who's done something like that for you. As a child of God, this is how he looks upon even our imperfect singing, even our messed up harmonies that we try to throw up, even your scratchy voice that never hits the notes right as you offer praise, acknowledging Jesus Christ. It is with that sort of warmth that he hears what you are doing. Those of you who are doing good works in sacrifice to God. Some of you are busy caring for our building, running one of our ministries, contributing to one of our ministries, teaching children the Bible, teaching adults the Bible, not neglecting to do good. Do your work with heart. Be encouraged, church. As you do these things, even as you don't do them perfectly, the Lord receives these good works as sacrifices that are pleasing to him. Why? Because our sins are paid for and we do it through Jesus Christ. So the point of all that is, is as Manoah's wife is able to look and say, look, God's accepting our offerings. Like he's got favor on us, right? Christian, you can look, see the sacrifice Jesus made for you and that the father accepted it and even see the words in the book of Hebrews, such sacrifices are pleasing to God and know that you have a special and favored relationship with the God whose presence, yes, should kill you if you ever saw him face to face. He looks on you with that much happiness. The last thing that she places some assurance in is the special job they had given them or that the angel had given them. Let's go back to Judges. We're we're done with Hebrews. We'll finish out in Judges. So there's kind of two parts to her logic here. One, if he, if he wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted the offerings. And two, if he wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have given us a special job, right? He wouldn't have told us all this stuff. And from that logic, we find our last bit of assurance this morning. Christians, we can know that God favors us because he has given us a special job as well. Now, for him to choose this couple, Manoah and his wife, to bring this young boy through whom he was going to redeem and save Israel, that's a special thing, right? You, you want to be like, you know, the Mary who gets to give birth to Jesus, somebody who gets to do something really important in the kingdom, right? If he chooses you for that, that's, that's an act of favor. That's an act of honor. And this is just what has happened to them. She says he wouldn't have shown us these things. He wouldn't have revealed to us these things. What was revealed to them? Well, the purpose of the boy's life in the kingdom of Israel to redeem them and the clear instructions that were given them. I want this job done just this way. Don't drink any wine while you're pregnant with him. Make sure he never drinks it. Don't let a razor touch his head. All these particular things, that's a sign of God's favor to them, isn't it? 
One of the amazing things that we have trouble wrapping our mind around in the Bible and in the Christian life is that God loves to choose humans to do work that he would have done a better job of himself. Right? Just as over and over and over again. Gives, gives Israel a human king when he's a much better king than even King David was. Right? He chooses even now for the church for us to be the ones that bring the good news of the gospel to the world even though he could just write it in the sky and everybody could just see it. Right? He could do a better job of this himself but what he likes to do is commission humans to be part of his work. And he does that because of the favor that he has for us and has for his people. Now, their special job was to bring this boy into the world, and he was going to be one who saved Israel from their enemies. Here's the special job that you have if you're part of God's church and you're a believer in Jesus Christ. From the lips of Jesus, because all authority in heaven and earth have been given to him, his words are, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he gives us a promise too, right? I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. To make disciples of Jesus. To then train disciples of Jesus to obey his commands. And then to send them out into all the world to make more disciples of Jesus. Church, this is the most important mission that he's ever given to anybody, and he gives it to us, right? And all of his plans throughout the kingdom of Israel and all the commissions that he gave, the Lord never gave a commission so great as this, go and win the world to me. And that means that if you are one of his, you are a part of the greatest mission of all time, the most special job God has ever given any of us here given to you to be a part of. Now, do you sense just a little bit of how much favor God has given you to choose you to be a part of that mission? There was once a young employee, fresh out of college, working his first job, and he was really struggling at his job. He knew it. His boss seemed to know it. He was in the office, seemed like every other day, getting corrected, getting ripped up and down, and he knew that he deserved it. It wasn't that his boss was hard on him, it was that he kept messing things up. And so he's at that point where he's walking around just wondering if he's like dead man walking, when am I gonna get fired? Because I am just not good at this. And his boss came to him and said, I need you to come in my office, I need to talk to you. And so he walked in and he sat down but to his surprise, the boss said to him, I have a special job for you. Oh, that's not what I expected to hear, right? <laughs> now, this is very important to me, he says, right? Of all the jobs I've ever, this one is super important to me, and I need it done just like this. Now, write this down. Here are the instructions. Do this, and then do this, and then do this. I want you to do it just right, and then I want you to come back to me and tell me everything that you have done. Now, that young man is going to leave that office with confidence. Why? Because if his boss wanted to fire him, he wouldn't give him the special job, right? You don't do that to the employees that you don't have favor for. Christian, you have been called into the Lord's office, and he has said to you, I have a special job for you. He doesn't do that for people that he hates, church. He does that for people that have his great favor. How blessed are you to be a part of the greatest mission of all time? So as you do your work here, do it as one who is favored by God. 
moms who are putting your kids in school or starting homeschool right now at this time of the year, playing a pivotal role in raising your children, training them in the ways of Jesus, right? Great commission work, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In all of the difficulty of that and the overwhelming nature of it, don't lose sight of the honor God has given you to be a part of such a great mission, to raise those little ones in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Church, as we get back into our regular schedule and start firing up ministries again, don't lose sight in all of that exhausting work of the great favor that God has shown you, giving you such an important role in such a special job. I was, uh, I was watching the Olympics this week, and I'm sure, you know, we all turn into couch potatoes this time of year, right? We all watch the Olympics together. And uh, there's a young girl in, um, I think she was an archer, I may be wrong about that, in some European country, and she had just won the gold medal. She wasn't expected to win, and she won. And they were interviewing her, and she was all overwhelmed, and she's like kind of crying, and she's talking, and she's trying to just process everything that's going on. And then she says something like, and on top of this, someone just reminded me that when I get back home, I have to meet the king, right? Because you want a gold medal, you get to go meet the king of your nation. Now, that's a great honor when you're the Olympian who won the gold medal and the king is proud of you, right? But it's very different if you get called before the king as a known traitor, isn't it? Right? That's terrifying. And there's a little picture of the difference that we have all experienced if we have walked in the grace of God. When we get called before him, we're no longer called as the known traitor who's going to have to answer for what we did. We get called up like that young girl who hears the words of the king, you, you have done well, I have favor on you, I am proud of you, and I want to meet you. Let us leave here this morning never losing sight of how incredible it is. We get to meet with God. Let's pray together.